eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And... I've got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Football. Oh, what a start! What they can benefit to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Live button is on. Welcome to House of Champions. Use your friends dropping your comments and questions in the chat and make sure you hammer that like and subscribe buttons as we preview the action ahead of this weekend's top fixtures all across Europe's top divisions in the house today. Nigel Rio Coker's got a strange look on his face. What's up, mate? What's up with you? What's up, <laughs> my face? <laughs> no? You good? Puzzled. All right, and I'm ready right, to go. Just making sure you're okay there. How are you doing, Michael Hood? I'm doing really, really well because of a certain game, certain scoreline from yesterday, Coupe de France. I'm looking at you, JJ. JJ, respond to that. I mean, don't just let him go. <sighs> no, I mean, yeah, honestly, can't can't have any arguments about the the result last night. But every dog has to have their day. What was that? The first time since like 2011. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's going to happen at some point. Listen, I'm a little bit confused uh, because Michael Lahoud, who's a Manchester United fan, has a Leeds United <laughs> scarf hanging behind his head ex- right now. I can explain. You, I can explain. I, I I've been taking crap for this behind the scenes. I can explain. My dad is a Leeds fan. And on my wedding day, he surprised all of us by giving my wife a lead scarf to welcome her to the family. Not a United scarf, as discussed, a lead scarf. So my missus put the scarf up. All right, we like that one. That's about the fifth time you've had to explain yourself about that scarf, (laughs) and we've had five different explanations, but thank you very much for that one. We do have a couple of comments coming in real quickly before we get into the show here. NYCFC songs asking about the the show. Uh, Shout out to NYCFC fans all around as well, but we're uh, obviously on different time zones. We try to do early in the morning as much as you possibly can. Check out for our listens and follow on our social media platforms. Twitter, very active on there. House of Champions, so make sure you follow along uh, for the latest showings. And then, uh, JJ, I'm coming to you real quickly because Blah Blah just jumped in and said, I'm not a fan of OM or PS. PSG, but that was not a penalty. Explain. 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, I had a lot of people asking me uh, about this yesterday. That's the penalty given against Sergio Ramos. I mean, I can understand people sort of debating the actual incident itself, but really, honestly, a defender of Ramos's experience, you don't get yourself into a position like that. You, you can't, uh, you know, and I, I think that, you know, for, for that alone, you know, you're asking for the penalty to be given, unfortunately, from a PSG perspective. Obviously, for, for Mike, he was absolutely delighted with it. But to be honest, <laughs> I don't think Marseille even needed, uh, you know, to score a penalty, uh, given the amount of chances they created. They sh- really should have been at least like three or four nil up uh, by half time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting what's happening right now in French football. We'll touch on that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, let's get into what happened yesterday because Nigel's completely bored right now as we talk about French football. Uh, we get back to the Premier League. It was Leeds against Manchester United yesterday. A quick reaction from all of you. Uh, Nigel, this was a bit of a surprise result for me. It's certainly a surprise reaction from Leeds United. They, st- they played very well in the first half. I actually thought the whole game, they were they were decent and showed great attitude. Mm. And they made it an interesting game. Manchester United not their best in the first 45 minutes, but they made it a cracking game to watch in the second half. What was your overall thoughts on the performance from both teams in the game overall? Overall, I think Leeds were fantastic, if if I'm honest. I think Leeds, for me, in that performance alone, give me a glimmer of hope that they could actually maybe survive and stay in the Premier League if they can get the right manager. Um, it's a reaction performance, obviously, with Jesse Marsh not being there anymore. And I'm sure Jesse would have been frustrated watching that kind of performance while he's not in charge because that's the kind of performance that he wants from his players. So it's a difficult situation again. Uh, Manchester United, for me, didn't start well, yes, but you can't take nothing away from Leeds' performance. They really were front foot, high tempo, winning the ball back high up the pitch. And uh, they look like the, the, the leads of old. And I think the lacking that finishing touch, that goal scoring ability is still something that's a bit of a worry for them. Uh, Manchester United, for me, again, now are showing how heavily reliant and how important Casemiro and um, Christian Eriksen is. That's what I saw in that performance. Casemiro and Christian Eriksen are so important to this Manchester United side if they're going to compete for try and win the champion, if they're going to compete to try and finish in the top four or even win the Premier League title. They were a big miss yesterday. I agree with you, Nigel. I was really impressed with Leeds. And when you start away from home, when you go to Old Trafford, which has become a difficult place to play for a lot of Premier League teams, as we've seen this season, and you get it gives you an uptick in confidence. And Noto, he was incredible. We've seen him be a spark for Leeds under Jesse Marsh, but it's that finishing touch that's been missing. Yes, the goal just lit up the field for them. And the way they swarmed, and you said it best in pressing up the field, both goals came off of winning the ball back high up the field and then getting in the box and having more definition to their attack. Where it went wrong is you start seeing the lack of depth. This is a Leeds team that put a lot of energy out. A lot of young players covered a lot of ground. They were missing that next goal to get United and put them in the sword or put the sword in them, but it wasn't there. And credit to Ten Hag for making subs. Subs, you're brought in to bring more energy to lift the team up. And Palestri and Jaden Sancho, Sancho getting the goal, but Palestri, the way he fought for that first ball, it was a it wasn't the best ball from Sabitzer, but he kept the play alive. Dallow with the cross. Early crosses got United back in the game, and United were fortunate to get the draw in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, sort of uh, go, going on and building from what Mike had said, uh, I you know, I agree as well. I think it was no surprise or no real shock that once United got one just after the hour mark, they got the second. Uh, you know, I think that's when Leeds started to sort of fall away a bit. Uh, I see there's been 
reports today that Iriota won't be taking over leads. And I think, you know, when when you change manager, there's always going to be that, uh, you know, new, uh, you know, burst of energy, uh, you know, players applying themselves that perhaps, you know, not doing so in a way that they were with the with the previous coach because everyone's out to try and impress, you know, the, the, the cards have been reshuffled, so to speak, and they'll be wanting to, uh, you know, catch the eye of whoever might come in uh, and replace Jesse Marsh. Uh, you know, but I think that there are some very, very talented players in this lead side. You know, every time I see uh, Gnonto, he really, really looks like a bar. I mean, I think he was only oh, yeah. picked up for a couple of million as well. An absolute yeah. bargain, uh, you know, by Leeds when they got hold of him. Uh, you know, and I, I, I think it's... There is definitely some potential there for whoever comes in, uh, you know, and, and takes over. I don't think that Leeds' current position in the table necessarily reflects the talent that they actually have assembled in that squad. Yeah, great comments coming in right now. You see Thomas Lumota here. Hello from Finland. Hi to Finland. Leeds uh, really putting up a fight without a manager and losing a few players in the first half. Just a pity they couldn't hold out for the win. Um, BX Gunner 81 saying, I see Leeds United staying up. Also adding early on that the American midfielders showed up there. Um, we also have uh, Vic jumping in and saying, Casemiro is everything for Manchester United agreeing with Nigel here. What a difference in that midfield without him. And then Pritik saying, the two goals of Leeds United saved if Casemiro played yesterday question mark um let's go into it they play once again this weekend uh nigel it's kind of strange really isn't it two games back to back in the premier league the way i mean this whole i mean this whole year really when you look at the schedule it's absolutely messed up but have you ever been in a situation where you've actually played a team and then maybe in a cup game and then gone straight into a league i don't think i've remembered seeing back-to-back premier league games like this I think I have actually. I've been involved in something like that. I think it was whether it was if it was Manchester United or Manchester City, and then there was a debate of whether we had to travel back or just stay up there. But I've been involved in that scenario before in my career, and yeah, it's interesting. But again, what people have to understand when they listen to this pod, there is tremendous history there between Manchester United and Leeds. There's a great rivalry there that goes way back, and it's going to be passionate. And there's already reports coming out. Uh, from Bruno Fernandes about he's not going to be intimidated by the atmosphere he's going to face when he goes to Ellen Road. So I, I think for me, it was a great game to watch yesterday. And again, yes, great shout out to the American players. I thought Weston McKenney was uh, fantastic. And what I loved about him in his uh, Premier League debut was he had a little bit of a handbag situation with Luke Shaw and he stood his ground well and um, wasn't intimidated. But he also played well. He played well. And I think that... You don't want to smoke. That's what he said. You don't want to smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could do it in this generation, but in our generation, maybe not, because uh, we'll give him that smoke. Red, red card. Red card. Red, NRC, see, red card. I'll see you in a tunnel. I'll see you in a tunnel. I'm gonna be no tunnel. I'll give it to you on the yeah. pitch right there, and then you'll know. Um, no, he played fantastically well. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for them to understand the quality level of the Premier League. You're 2-0 up. It, and really and truly, you should have been able to see in that game. But it's, again, a lack of experience and and the lack of know-how. And again, we talk about Casemiro. I think Casemiro would have made a difference because Casemiro and Eriksen set the tempo. They go and get the ball off the defence. They're able to make those penetrative passes. They're able to control the flow of the midfield. Midfielders yeah. like Casemiro, Partey, and some of these midfielders, Gimuresh, that we marvel at in the Premier League, and even Joe Linton now to a certain degree, they don't come around like that. There's an extra bit of element that comes into knowing the game and it's great football intelligence, a willingness to let that game, the goal, the game go through them. They have that knowledge to uplift their teammates and we're going to be in for a cracking game again this weekend. I think the atmosphere at Ellen Road is going to be sensational. Yeah, I think that's well said, Nigel. And I also now on the wide play of United, it was wide play that got them back in the game and I thought Garnacho was very disappointing. Let's not forget, although United... United 
Panacho had two or three golden opportunities. He looked like a player who wasn't up to speed. So I expect Jaden Sancho to be back in the 11. And maybe this is the time that his career at United gets resuscitated to take flight. JJ, quickly. Yeah, your one of the most interesting things to come out of that game was Sancho getting back on the, the score sheet, his celebration as well, pointing at his head. So I'm keen to see if he can play a role for United between now and the end of the season. Uh, you know, but for me, looking at how this game might pan out, I, you know what? I feel like uh, it could be another draw, actually. I'm going to go for a score draw. I'm going to say 1-1. Uh, Nigel? I'm going to go for Man United wing 2-1. Yeah, I'm going 1-0 one, one United. All right, blah, blah. Which, which United? Yeah, see what I did there. <laughs> oh, Manchester United, of course. Don't don't let the score. Man United 2 1 at Leeds on Sunday saying blah, blah right there in the chats as well. We appreciate you. Thanks for all the comments, uh, everybody out there. Let's turn our attention to the Merseyside Derby. It's Liverpool against Everton. LFC recently embarrassed JJ by Wolves once again. Mm. I mean, spanked. Uh, the goals continue to go in against Jurgen Klopp's side. It almost to me seems like Jurgen Klopp is a little bit lost right now as to handle the, how he handles the situation. Many people have actually said to me personally and sometimes on shows they've actually said that Jurgen Klopp doesn't know how to handle this situation that he sort of lost his head and lost his enthusiasm where's your thoughts in the process as to where Jurgen Klopp is here as he goes into a derby game where Everton looks somewhat rejuvenated under Daesh after one game yeah, this one uh, is really, really interesting coming into this weekend because if there's a game that Liverpool don't want to be going into right now, it's against Everton with a new manager bounce. Uh, you know, I think they've already shown against Arsenal that they're capable of upsetting some of the bigger sides and Liverpool are far from being in good form at this moment in time. Uh, I think I said in the show the other day, it's, you know, it, it is crazy how history repeats itself, uh, you know, with Klopp and he struggles when he gets to, to this sort of part of a, of a project. Honestly, what I think we're seeing right now is probably, you know, without wanting to over uh, over exaggerate, probably the beginning of the end. Whether or not that end comes at the end of this season or perhaps at some point during next season, I, I think we're closer to the end between Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool than we think. Uh, I don't think it makes him a bad. Uh, I don't think it makes him a, a bad manager. Of course not. It's just there is sort of like this natural period of time for, for certain projects. And it feels like clops generally tend to run their course around this time. Uh, you know, but I, I would also add there, I don't think it's just down to sort of Klopp, his relationship with the, the players. I think it reflects on Liverpool, the club as well, that, you know, they've kind of gotten complacent in the last couple of years, took their eye off the ball in terms of recruitment. They haven't built the kind of squad that Klopp needed in order to keep that momentum going. Uh, and now there are, you know, major wholesale changes needed, you know, both, uh, you know, on and off the pitch. So it, it really wouldn't surprise me if there perhaps comes a moment in reflection where Klopp feels like he's given everything to try and turn this around. It's not working, uh, you know, and maybe, uh, you know, the club and the, the manager are better off going their separate ways at the end of the season. Uh, two pl places on the field that I had concerns about going into the season, one of them, and I said it before the season started, the midfield, not enough recruitment done, not enough change, not enough life put into this midfield to, to make a spark in this season. And you're seeing how depleted they are in the last couple of games. Their back line has given up and their team has given up 11 goals since the start of the new year. That is not what's made Liverpool successful. They shored up, they shored up themselves defensively over the last couple of seasons. And yes, the goals went in offensively. It's not happening for them. I expect changes to be made. Ibrahim Kanate not being part of the team. Virgil van Dijk gets a lot of the praise and a lot of the focus, but Kanate being out as well. You feel that loss. 
Matip and Gomez, that's not it. I expect a change at center back. Could it be Nat Phillips coming back in and getting a start? I think this is a good game for him. Young players, they will be chomping at the bit. We were all young players at one point. You get thrown into a Merseyside derby. This is a game that he could really be a, a spark plug for them. And up top, Mohamed Salah is, looks in trouble. He looks like he, he's not enjoying his football anymore. It's because he's not getting the support. Darwin Nunez, it's just been a wash for him. And Cody Gakpo, I don't think he was the right player Liverpool should have gotten. Yes, he had a good World Cup, but he's not looking up to the billing so far. Mm. I just think for me, I'll make it very short and sharp because Michael and John have done a fantastic job in everything that I probably would have said. Um, I disagree with Michael to a slight degree. I think they've made recruitments as they've been expected, but the recruitments just haven't been good enough. I agree with Jonathan. I think that Jurgen Klopp is that type of manager where he's messaging, he's energy, can stay in players for a certain amount of years. And then after that, the same energy, the same messaging becomes white noise. This is the worst game for Liverpool. You're seeing a resurgent Everton side who are going to be very physical. They're going to make it very uncomfortable. I think it's going to be another classic old school Merseyside derby. Tackles flying in. Everything's going to come flying in. And what we haven't seen from Liverpool for the past couple of games is that fight and desire. I see an Everton win just because of that. They're going to make it uncomfortable for wow. them. Wow. And I agree with Jonathan, where I feel it's the point where you've got to see it now that Jurgen Klopp's time at Liverpool has come to an end. He's done tremendous at the club, but the messaging is becoming like white noise to these players now. And you can see as well in reflection in some of these players' performances, it's time to move on. Shout out to Tom McCannon out there. Big up to everybody in the house. Uh, BX Gunnar Salah looks like Obama Yang after signing. Uh, he looks useless right now. <laughs> Dean Morton. Salah is a step up also. Man also looks like he's a bit hurt, to be fair. Um, and then Tomas jumping in and saying, uh, our Liverpool, the new vibes team who only plays when they feel like it. Uh, Skull prediction from Nigel is an Everton win. JJ, where are you going on an ML follow? You know what? I'm, I'm tempted by that as well. I'm going to say Everton's win by a goal. <laughs> I'm Michael, you're saying oh like you've seen liverpool perform well recently they I'm have not, been a shadow of themselves like come i on. know but i'm not there just yet i'm going one one draw i'm not there just yet it's a merseyside derby come on okay Ian, we've worked derby. it out blah blah is michael's missing Blah, blah, jumping in as well, saying Everton, Liverpool, 1-1 draw. I'm actually going for Liverpool winning this game here. I don't mm. see it. Dice ball was yeah. fun in the first game, but it's over now. Uh, let's turn our attention to the game on Sunday. It's Manchester City against Villa. Um, Michael, come to you first here. What is the, the effect of, obviously, the FFP issues for Manchester City going into a game like this? Where are the players' mindsets also going into a big game like this? I mean, this is a massive game. Villa could cause some problems. City clearly favourites in this game. Um, but will there be an after effect for Pep Guardiola, his mentality, his coaches, and also his players from what's been happening in the news recently? I think there's more of a fact what's happening on the field more than off the field. We've seen this happen with City before when they were under the cosh with financial fair play. Was it back in 2020? And they performed, got to the Champions League final. Didn't affect them at all in domestic and European competition. I expect them to respond in this game and on the field. Villa will put up a fight, though. Okay, thanks for yeah, that. You that know, was very quick, Mike. I'm much to say. Wow, let me jump in. Go ahead, JJ. No, mate. <laughs> I, I, had, I, I said my piece. Go on, JJ. Wow. 
Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to step aside for Nigel if you want, but no, if I'm going on this, I, I actually, as a Villa fan, I feel more confident coming into the games against the bigger teams at the moment. I feel like that really has Emery in his element in that kind of underdog role. Disappointing last weekend against Leicester. I don't think Villa actually played that badly, but I would say that. Um, they're... I, I, th- I felt they merited a bit more for, from that game than the than the defeat that we ended up with. But, you know, there is quite clearly, uh, you know, uh, a work in progress going on with Villa under Emery at the moment. And it just feels like they're able to sort of perform at the kind of level that Emery needs them to when they come up against some of these bigger sides. So uh, I suspect Villa could, you know, make this, uh, you know, tighter than expected, maybe lose by just a goal or perhaps even pull off a draw. Yeah, I think Nigel- Villa could make this tight. I agree. I think Villa could make this very tight. Could be a draw. They didn't really give uh, a real performance of themselves against Leicester. Um, I think, again, sometimes it's when you get a bit complacent. You know, you think you're facing Leicester, relegation battle team. You know, you let your levels drop slightly. But playing Manchester City, I think it's going to be a different thing. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, attention on this game because of the outside situation. I personally feel, Ian, I really don't think that the players care or so much the management side really care. Let's be real about it. The days of players playing for these clubs, coming through the academy system and being a fan is not as kind of um, notable as it was in our generation. There was a deeper connection with players. Now there isn't. You know, I think there's a lot of City players who are probably sitting there thinking, all right, where can I go next? Speaking to their agents. Because it's nothing that they could control or had any kind of dealing with. It's beyond their control. So um, I don't think it's going to affect them since. I think if anything affects them on the football pitch, it's going to be the relationships with Pep Guardiola. You know, we have to really be honest about that. Um, There's a lot still going on at City. I think there's a lot behind closed doors that we don't see. And I think for me, again, when I look at Manchester City, I don't see a hunger and a desire that we did when first Pep Guardiola took over. I see that Mm -hmm. hunger and desire more in Arsenal than I do at Manchester City. And that's, again, Arteta's gone there, taking over, sent his messaging, done everything his way. And I see basically the start of Manchester City is what we see in Arsenal red right now when Arsenal perform. But um, yeah, I I see it being tight. I could maybe see a draw by Villa or maybe another upset and uh, a Villa win. Wow, well said there. Uh, Erling Haaland hat-trick, 4-1 win, says Lee Sweeney. Blah, blah, saying, oh, it's at City. It'll be 1-2 then. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, P. Morton, Emery should at least be able to keep them up barely. Just joking, blah, blah. I mean, uh, Michael's uh, wife. Uh, I think it'll be a Manchester City win. But well said there, uh, Nigel. Very well said, but also very interesting as to what you just said there about the players' mindset and also the community feel about Manchester City and where the players' mindsets will be. Because breaking news came out this morning about the new Super League proposal producer Sadez has put together an awesome piece in our rundown here. A2022 sports uh, management 10-point plan. 80 teams um, a year across multiple divisions. Top-tier teams would have access to 14 extra games per season. Solidarity payments of $400 per year to grassroots, non-participating clubs and social causes, which is obviously tremendously important. Um, But there has been, obviously, a bit of aggression and an emergency reaction from many people, including Javier Tebas, uh, who we were speaking about previously coming on air he said on twitter the super league is the wolf who today disguises himself as a granny to try to fool european football but his nose and his teeth are very big four divisions in europe of course the top division for them the founding club as in the two, uh, 2019 plan governance of the clubs of course only from 
the big ones. I mean, in, in many ways, this is just absolutely mind-blowing. It goes on, the European Club Association, ECA, notes that the latest dispatch from A22's alternative reality, however, in the real world, this re rehashed idea has already been proposed, discussed, and comprehensively rejected by all stakeholders in 2019. This is just another deliberately distorted and misleading attempt to de destabilize the constructive work currently taking place between football's real stakeholders to move things forward in the overall best interest of the Europe European club game. Um, JJ, I'll come to you first because obviously you're across this uh, extensively and um, we have been following this for a number of years. We've wrote about it so many times. Certainly read you write about it a lot. Uh, this is uh, not going away, the Super League. And once again, it appears. And in many ways, I think a lot of people will start to take notice as to what is going on here. What is your overall thoughts about the news that broke this morning? Will this go away? And is it real? <laughs> Uh, not really surprised, uh, you know, by the news that's broken. Will it go away? I don't think so. I think it's something that will continue to rear its head, uh, you know, every now and then, because ultimately something like this feels inevitable, perhaps not tomorrow, but, you know, sort of at some point, I don't know, maybe sort of 10, 15 years uh, along the line, it feels like, you know, a competition like this will eventually come into being. Uh, you know, is it a good thing for the game? Uh, you know, it's, it, that, that is a very, very long uh, conversation to have. Uh, I do find it interesting, though, that Tebas is so reactive so quickly. I, I read some reports as well coming out of Spain that uh, he has uh, essentially banned Barcelona and Real Madrid from the next round of uh, talks regarding the TV deal in uh, Spain uh, and taken away their right to, to potentially vote on that as well. So obviously he feels that sort of maybe what La Liga is now paying for in in terms of, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, being part of the, the top five leagues in Europe, but being, let's face it, quite a long way behind the, the Premier League. Uh, you know, I think he perhaps feels like that kind of thing might ultimately happen uh, at a Super League level as well, where you have the biggest teams. So taking the, the example of Real and Barca from La Liga, putting it into the, the Super League with a couple of clubs, uh, you know, from different countries where at the end of the day, they'll work out the best deal for them. Uh, and it'll leave the others with, you know, little in ways of meaningful football and, and titles to, to play for. I think for me, it's just simple words, Ian. It's greed. It's greed. It's a power struggle between UEFA. No surprise. You look at the clubs who are trying to be the initiative behind it, whether it's Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus. It goes to mismanagement by these clubs themselves, which they don't want to take responsibility for. And also it goes to a lack of desire with working with the league itself to improve the whole league. It's selfish. That's all it is. It's selfish, trying to take football away from the fans. There's so many great words I can use. And there's so many curse words I can use about this whole proposal. And it's funny that Juventus, a team that's in there, because for me, they're a team that was cooking their books to just compete. And again, it goes to, again, mismanagement and greed. Um, I'm just tired of it, if I'm honest. I think football belongs to the fans. We've seen reactions to it. And I don't think it's going to be dead. I think they're going to keep trying to find a way to do it instead of looking at and taking responsibility about how they run their clubs, how they can make their clubs more marketable and how can they can make their leagues more competitive. And the sad thing is, you look at these clubs that we're talking about, and it's also Real Madrid, Juventus and Barcelona. Look at Bayern Munich and the history behind that club. And they've chosen to be no part of this and stay away from this and keep football it's also a different fans. format in German football, though, Nigel, when it, it comes to different. the fans. You said football belongs to the fans. It's a different format in the Bundesliga, so it's much more mm -hmm. difficult for clubs in Germany to join something like this. Yeah, well, I think that that's great. I think it does, because they still can compete in their league domestically. And a point that 
Jonathan May, before he came, we talked about him on the pod, is fans go to games in Germany. They want to experience it. So they say about making experience for the fans better. How about you making the stadiums better in Italy and making it more family-friendly? Don't let players be racially abused. All these things play a part in the reason why your league isn't competitive and it isn't competing with other leagues. And it's the jealousy aspect of it. The reality of it is the jealousy aspect of it and the fact that UEFA has so much money, but UEFA work. The Champions League is not the Champions League now of what we used to witness years ago. You know, it's come with long, hard work markets. I'm not saying it's right. Maybe the money needs to be distributed better. But for me, when are these clubs going to take responsibility in how they've been running for so long? And it's the cheek from Real Madrid and Barcelona, as we know. They used to negotiate their own TV deal. They took the biggest money because they said we're the biggest clubs. So where's your love and admiration for spreading the wealth to other clubs in La Liga to make it com- com- compatible? So yep. um, that's what I have to say. Just greed and the usual oh, it's well said. old guys in power who just want to stay in power till their corpses. Yeah. I think it's just sometimes it's it's the person who's banging the loudest drum who sometimes could be seen as the most senile person in the room. Wasn't it a month ago that Tebas was coming out at the Premier League saying they're greedy, they're this, they're that. They're this. The one time I agree with Tebas in this, that the the Super League, man, th- this is just this is so bad for football if it ever moves forward. I, I think you can applaud some of the the initiatives of social justice and all that, but it doesn't hide the main fact that this is all about money. These are big clubs that do not want to be challenged. They want to get the most money for the little, the less, the, sorry, I can't even say that, for the least amount of work and least amount of competition. And at the end of the day, this needs to be challenged. It needs to be fought by every single person. Number for you, there were 12 teams in this initial group, nine of them not to be counted for in this three remaining teams. That says a lot. I hope the remaining teams just keep banging at this drum and then get drowned out because this cannot happen in football. Let me just Listen, you guys, go, quickly. Go ahead, sorry, sorry, Nigel. Let's, let's talk about the reality of it as well for the fans and the people, right? So these big clubs want to be at the top. It's basically a pyramid scheme. They're going to give some money to the smaller clubs. What happens when these smaller clubs develop great talent, superstar players? The big clubs have more money. They're going to buy it. So they're going to use these little clubs more so as a feeder club to stay on top than to really make it competitive from top to bottom. So it's all absolute BSPR. We can see it from a mile away and it's just nonsense. I said my two cents really are um, just really off the back of everyone's comments here because uh, great comments from all of you. Uh, I think we all feel and act and think the same when it comes to the beautiful game where we come from, what we like to enjoy watching, and um, when it comes to football. Um, we love lower league football. We love watching youth soccer. Um, we, we clearly have all worked around and been around youth soccer at some stage in our lives. Um, and it's trend- tremendously important, no matter what, when you look at the big picture of things, the Premier League is running away right now. It is pretty much in a, a Super League in itself. The revenues for television, the players who are playing there, the salaries and the ownerships, it's pretty much a Super League. So without the Premier League clubs being involved in this, as far as I'm concerned, there's absolutely no way a Super League can go ahead. You need the Premier Leagues to be involved in this. So, and therefore, you've got to be able to financially push these Super League, uh, push these Premier League clubs to be a part of it. Otherwise, you've got no chance. It's not a goal. Um, Ian, I tell am, them why, I, though. Tell the people why, Ian. Why without the Premier League, it wouldn't work? Why wouldn't it work without the Premier League? Clubs, yeah. Because everybody's going to continue to watch the Premier League and no one's going to watch the What did the, the Premier League, League do? Well, as far as what? Market, they marketed themselves as a league for the world. And right. they've got players from all over the world. They're open for people to buy clubs from wherever you come from. 
And that is why the Premier League, without the Premier League clubs, like you said, the Super League is not going to work because... Yes, no but Nigel, can we, can we possibly debate whether that's the right way to go forward for the game or not? Because me personally, obviously playing in Germany for five years, I see a different structure and I see a structure that works where almost all of the clubs in the Bundesliga are profitable. I don't say that and see that about other teams in the Premier 100%. League. Premier League right now are losing millions and essentially billions of dollars. Um, and it's not sustainable except for the fact that they have ownerships who don't care about money, which is okay because they can go. But what about the other teams? So my opinion is basically the structure needs to be reevaluated. Absolutely. But where is the benefit here? I'm not looking at a Juventus, a Barcelona and a Real Madrid from just being uh, 400 million a year in excess of playing the same teams over and over again and running away and creating this separate league. No, no, no. I want to see a trickle-down effect from what we are seeing. Let's put it into uh, the Premier League, for example. The trickle-down effect from these massive billionaire ownerships coming into huge clubs. Newcastle, for example, Let's see if there's a feed down, a trickle down from what Newcastle do, how they build their teams, how they build their clubs, how they keep the fans inside the stadiums instead of just sitting at home and watching TVs, how they get kids involved, how they structure their youth systems and how that trickles down to the clubs that are in the local area. I mean, that's what I see in Germany. That's the format I like. And um, I find it very difficult if you see a Super League going ahead that that has any chance of surviving. I agree with you. I'm, I'm a big fan of how the, the German league is run. I think it's fantastic, not just in the aspect of the clubs, but the fact of they keep fans going into stadium and also the fact of the diversity in the German league, the players that they have from all over the world. I think if the German league is probably marketed a little bit better, then I think they could be another real powerful league. You already know that Bayern Munich are going to compete domestically and also in the Champions League. But yeah, I think it's great. And I can see two smirks on my colleagues' faces. So I'm just going to shut up right now. We're just laughing what? at you full stop, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Great great discussion. I mean, listen, we could have a, a full show on this discussion. Uh, we pretty much did before we came on air as well. And we're going to keep this going at some point throughout the week as we get closer to the Champions League as well. Because, um, yeah, pretty much this, the Super League is already standing and we've got a lot to talk about this one. So let's go to break. Well, let's come back and we'll look around what's happening in the rest of Europe. You are watching House of Champions. We'll be right back. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Don't miss out on any of the Serie A action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport, like Olivier Giroud, Rafael Leao, and Lautaro Martinez as they try to lead their teams to the Scudetto. How will the table change going forward? Which club has the best chance of winning it all? Which clubs have the most to lose? Find out the answers and stream every match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount+. Plus. Try one month free with the promo code Serie A. Welcome back to House of Champions. And apparently producer Des dropping an iTunes beat from his personal collection <laughs> right there with that promo. Everybody else was just swinging it around just a little bit and Nigel I could see that smile on your face <laughs> I just don't understand the Mariah Carey I, I'm sorry I'm just, uh... <laughs> oh don't don't lie it I bet it's your shower sing-along song I, yeah right I, I like it, <laughs> it. Even I'm not surprised Ian move on with the show before Nigel starts again Vic jumped in straight away and said, nice ad. I appreciate that one right there. <laughs> Thank you, Vic. I love to see it. All right, let's turn our attention and whip around the rest of what's happening in Europe. We start with Serie A. You can watch it exclusively on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Juventus against Fiorentina noon on Sunday. It is 10th against 13th. It's not the game we once or even expected at all. There are a lot of games taking place. Milan, Torino, obviously Lazio, Atalanta is a good one. Napoli against Cremonese. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what Juve do in this game. Vlahovic is finally out. And 23, he's back. He's scoring goals. But this is just not the game, Mike, that we all once knew and loved. It's going to be a different game, a different UV. But let's not forget they have this 15-point deduction, which is why they're sitting where they are. Yeah, they're 13 points off a Champions League spot, but they will feel confident because they've gotten results in their last two games. The Lazio game, that was the catapult, and I think that will be the catapult for them to go back up the table. They're doing well in Coppa Italia. I expect them to roll in this game. The partnership between Vlahovic as the striker, and I think it's going to be Di Maria, but also you could play Chiesa as that second striker. They've been playing a 3-5-2, and I I think the solidarity of the midfield five and the back three with the Brazilians, they are looking like the Juve that was in second place before the point deductions. Bremer is looking more solid, That and I think that the youth movement of Frajoli or Moretti, look for one of them to be in the midfield alongside Rabio and Locatelli. I mean, I know that we're talking a lot about uh, Juve, but I just I just want to put on record how disappointed uh, I am with uh, Fiorentina actually this season. I really thought that they were going to potentially kick on, uh, you know, look to get into the European places and it's just going pretty disastrously at this moment in time. I mean, 13th, I know there's only two points between them and Juve, but that is after the points deduction. Uh, and it feels like, I mean, even even with the three points, uh, you know, from, from this one for either team, they're still miles off where you'd expect either of them to be. We all know why Juve are so far off uh, off the pace now, but that is still a big gap. I mean, if Juve were to win, moves them up to 29, that's still, what, nine points behind AC, who have dropped to sixth in the last European position. Uh you know, that's still a, a fairly sizable gap. Juve are going to need to go on a serious tear between now and the end of the season if they're to even get themselves into contention for Europe. Ian and people listening, I have no interest in Juventus, no interest in Florentina right now. <laughs> the only team that interests me in Serie A is Napoli because I love the approach and style of play. <laughs> so Napoli, let's move on. I love to see it here. Looking oh, like uh, Juve that can't get their books right too, says P. Morton right there. Uh, does Latin have any cartilage in his knees? The peoples want to know. Nigel, you love Mariah Carey. Don't lie about it. That's what Rafa says as well. Um, Nigel's requested. Therefore, we shall. Let's move on. Let's focus a little bit on some of the teams that are coming up, obviously, in the Champions League. Uh, we'll focus what's happening in a domestic action ahead of those Champions League fixtures. Uh, Monaco PSG, JJ. This is a game that really has my attention now because I'm trying to figure out 
what PSG are right now, who they are. I mean, what is going on? Messi, Neymar, we all know. I actually would like an update on Mbappe as well because I don't believe that he's going to be missing for these two ties. However, let me know. But also, is Gautier at all under any pressure with the way that PSG are performing right now? I mean, I think he's under major pressure now, given the result last night. Like I said at the beginning of the show, that's PSG's first defeat away at Marseille, I believe, since around 2011, 2012. I mean, that's, you know, 10 years plus. Uh, you know, it's a long, long time since Marseille, uh, you know, managed to, to beat PSG on home soil. As much as it was a great day for Mike, that was a very, very <laughs> bad day at the office for PSG. Uh, and it's, you know, symptomatic of what's happened really since uh, PSG got back off of the, the World Cup break. It's not been good enough. Yes, they've been missing Mbappe for a couple of games. Mbappe was there when they lost, though, against the likes of Lens, against the likes of Rennes. So, you know, you can't blame all of these struggles on Mbappe being missing. And, uh, you know, PSG have fallen apart since the World Cup. We discussed it before Qatar, you know, were the likes of Messi and Neymar just getting ready, uh, you know, with that tunnel vision for the World Cup. And now they really couldn't care less what happens for the remainder of the season against PSG. It certainly looks that way when you're looking at what's happening on the pitch at the moment. Monaco, not an easy place to go, especially as, you know, they now have, uh, you know, Europe in their sights and they absolutely need to get themselves back into contention. Also already out of the Coupe de France as well. I mean, you know, people say all the time, uh, you know, PSG win everything in France, but that's not true. This is going to be the second consecutive year that PSG haven't won uh, the Coupe de France. I mean, yes, they're looking good for the Ligue 1 title at the moment, but there are other teams who have been able to succeed, uh, you know, in their place in the past. So, you know, PSG have taken their eye off the ball in a domestic sense to such a degree now that, you know, were Galtier to fail to lead PSG past by Munich and whether or not Mbappe is back for those two games, I can't tell you right now, but if he is, he won't feature against Monaco despite it being his former club. Uh, but if Galtier doesn't manage to, to lead PSG past by Munich, uh, you know, I think we're probably looking at him being replaced by somebody else. I don't know, Zinedine Zidane, uh, you know, somebody else uh, come the the summer because this is not what PSG's leadership thought they were signing up for when they brought in Luis Campos as well as uh, Galtier. Yeah, they're worrying signs for PSG ahead of this Bayern tie. And I think some of that might be exposed. Ben Yedder, he is the PSG killer of the last few seasons. Really, really coming on strong for Monaco. It's why you're seeing them go up the table. When I watched the Marseille game yesterday, what Marseille did so well, I said it when we did the preview for the Champions League in the matchup against Bayern with PSG. The midfield is my concern for PSG. Their midfield look very vulnerable. Marseille did well to play off the shoulder of Danilo Pereira, who's been playing center back at different times and also defensive midfield. I think if he continues to play really in this vulnerable space of being the the, the lone defensive midfielder, Vitinha pushing higher up more as a box-to-box -box midfielder, I don't think that's going to give PSG success against Bayern Munich. In this matchup and in really the next month, they have a big month in Liga. They have Monaco. They will play Marseille again in the next few weeks. And I think there's cracks in the pavement for PSG, and I could really see them getting knocked out by Bayern. Interesting. Uh, well, let's turn our attention to Bayern Munich because obviously they have sort of found their form just a little bit again recently, Nigel. They are scoring goals against Triple Moting, finally scoring goals. He's now gone up against his former club in Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. Um, but Bayern did look good. Uh, they got through in a cup against Mainz. Uh, they have been looking very good, scoring goals again. I think the addition of João Cancelo, I don't know if you've watched any of their games, Nigel, but the addition of João Cancelo has brought a real dyna dynamism on the right-hand side that they didn't have with Pavard, who's looked disinterested over the last uh, maybe six months or so in a Bayern jersey. So really impressed with what Bayern Munich 
Celtic are doing, but I am not convinced that they can go through against PSG. Now, I know I've been watching PSG too, um, and they're a team that are very frustrating right now, but Bayern are not necessarily a team that's running away with their domestic table and certainly not the Bayern of old. Ian, I've just put the violin away for PSG and you're trying to get me to bring it back out. I do not have no sympathy for PSG. I love Jonathan Johnson, but I don't. They've gone the wrong way about it since they've taken over. They're trying to buy football. And I'm not going to lie. I'm happy that I'm seeing PSG crash and burn. Bayern Munich for me, as you've always written them off, Ian, they finished top of their group. They qualified. There's something, you're more of an expert on Bayern Munich than I. But when I watch this Bayern Munich team, especially at Champions League, they turn it to another level. For me, the Champions League is their priority. It's a competition that they're very experienced in. And I see the performances of these players go to another level. Domestically, at times, they probably say that they get very complacent. They can be inconsistent. But the players that they have, for me, is about Champions League. That is, for me, their priority. Cancelo's come in, made it different. He's bringing a breath of fresh air. Provada's lost interest, like some other players at some of these other top players we've discussed. Cancelo's come in, enthusiasm, new beginning, playing. One of the most intelligent football players that you can see on a football pitch. What he brings defensively and attacking-wise. I said it. You guys made fun of me that the goals are being shared at Bayern Munich. You shared, shared. They need a striker. We understand that. They can prepare for that for next season. But the goals are still going around. And I think for me that Bayern Munich, for me, are one of the favourite teams to win this competition. And they, they, they finished top of their group. And look at that group that they came top that you didn't even think that they'll get out. Mr. Ian Joy, something not quite right there. So I think you need to direct that there's something not quite there at PSG while I bring out my violin again for feeling sorry for PSG and how they've gone about. You can have all the money in the world. If you don't have a plan, a structure and a real direction, that's what should happen to you. Crash and burn like PSG. And credit to the recruiting department for Bayern Munich. One position people talk about is the goalkeeping position. Manuel Neuer gets injured on the lavish ski trip from hell, it turns out to be. And they bring in Summer, which I think that he could have a big, big say in this Champions League tie when they go up against PSG. That goalkeeping duel between he and Donnarumma, that will be a talking point. Donnarumma, he kept the game close between OM and PSG. Without it, it could have been absolute humiliation for the team from Paris. A really good point by Mike, actually, because I did want to sort of touch on the goalkeeping position, not necessarily uh, to talk about Zoma, because obviously he is a good addition and is a very solid performer. So I expect him to fit in seamlessly. But actually, it's what's going on behind the scenes at Bayern that's interesting. Getting rid of the goalkeeping coach while Neuer's out of action, bringing in somebody new. To me, that suggests that suddenly... Julian Nagelsmann is getting a sort of a second wind uh, in, in his time in charge of Bayern and really is actually starting to, uh, you know, properly take control of the situation. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that dynamic develops over the next couple of months. Oh, great point, JJ. I'm glad someone actually reads up about the Bundesliga at some point because there is something not quite right there. I'm just letting you all know. Bayern Munich, man, I'm telling you, like, even though they got the results, they got the best players in Germany. That's why they're sitting on top of the table in the Bundesliga. This right now in the Champions League will be interesting to see. They have impressed me getting out of the group. But this will be a big test because I have no idea where PSG are right now. Uh, some great comments coming in as well. Uh, good morning to my good friend. Where is he? Francisco Roca. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm about to enjoy a cup of coffee and listen to some House of Champions. Welcome to you blah blah saying psg and monaco 2-3 psg are going to win that game Pritik saying uh psg are careless for god's sake they're playing Bayern munich in five days they need to step it up 
Oh, yeah, they do. PSG uh, of last year, the LeBron Miami Heat of football. Love that <laughs> comment right there from Pete Martin. <laughs> okay, let's rattle through it pretty quickly. Next week, it's a great game to look forward to. It is, of course, Spurs uh, traveling to Milan against AC Milan. Mm. This week coming up is AC Milan against Torino, uh, Leicester City against Spurs. Uh, I'm going to have you, Nigel, just touch real quickly on Spurs. And then, Mike, I'm going to have you touch upon AC Milan, who are in shambles mm. right now against Torino. That game's coming up on Friday. NRC, go. Spurs should win that game. Um, obviously, they are have the ability to be a box of chocolate like Forrest Grump. You never know which one you're going to get. But I think Spurs <laughs> should win that game because Milan have been absolutely dreadful. The wheels have completely come off at AC Milan and I have no idea what is going on at that club. And Zlatan definitely will not be a saviour or a god as people seem to have him up at times. Um, and Spurs should win that game. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see this Milan matchup because what you see from them in this game against Torino will tell you a lot about what to expect when they go up against Tottenham. It, it's gone all wrong. I think defensively is where it's gone them. The, the elder statesman, Giroud, looking like an old man since coming back from the World Cup in this skid that they have. Simon Kahar not looking like the player of old that was the captain of the Danish national team and performed well prior to the World Cup. He's had some injuries this season. Last season, much better for Milan. For them, they need to get back to basics. For as many goals as they scored last year and have this year, it's being better defensively. It's being more compact and hitting on the counter. You haven't seen that of late. And and I think the first game where they lost a lot battered by Inter Milan, that dented their confidence and they've been struggling to find themselves. If they get a result this weekend, they'll be more competitive against Tottenham. Chelsea are on the road against West Ham and Werder Bremen are at home to Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund going up against Chelsea next week, the Christian Pulisic game. Oh, yeah, we're looking forward to it. JJ, you got both of these games here. What are you expecting from Chelsea? And Borussia Dortmund, they welcome back Allaire. He's back scoring goals again. Uh, Jude Bellingham scored uh, again. Well, no, he scored. He assisted yesterday in the cup game. He is, in my opinion, going to be the largest departure from the Bundesliga as far as the transfer goes this summer. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like we've been discussing this for the last couple of months and it's almost reached a point where it's going to be inevitable. I mean, I'm happy to see that Dortmund have kind of made their way back into something resembling title contention, obviously like snapping at the heels now of Union Berlin, who are doing well to keep pace with uh, with Bayern. Uh, you know, it just feels like, a you know, what might have been for, for Dortmund if they could have picked up a few more points earlier in the season. But like you said, LL, uh, you know, his, uh, you know the, his loss for the first half of the season, very, very unfortunate. Great to see him back on the pitch now and performing it just feels like Dortmund at this moment in time are, you know in the ascendancy whereas Chelsea are really you know struggling to to get any good result that they can uh you know and West Ham a West Ham team fighting to avoid uh, you know being part of the relegation battle at the end of the season it's not the easiest uh you know place to to go especially when you're still working out exactly who you are trying to look for some identity so I can see it being a, a tough weekend for for Chelsea but I think uh, Dortmund will warm up with a with a win I'm not sure about that defence, though, JJ. I'm worried about yeah. Dortmund's defence, and I'm mm-hmm. worried we'll stop about Chelsea and what's happening I'm there sorry. right now. Ian, quickly before you go, you're worried about Dortmund's defence. Yeah. Uh, have you seen you Chelsea's going to score goals? Have you seen Chelsea's attack? Have you seen Chelsea's attack? Have you seen Chelsea's attack? Hold on a sec, Nigel. Have you seen the last couple of Dortmund matches? No, I haven't. Okay. Dortmund. Nigel, if you put if you put on your boots right now, you'd be faster than Matt Hummel. I promise you Nate, that much. <laughs> so, so Ian, I'm so glad you said that. The last match, one of the last matches against Freiburg, Freiburg down a man. Some of the goals they gave up, missed tackles, pinballing off each other, guys jumping out of the way. I mean, the Chelsea Youth Academy could put a hat trick with that sort of defending. 
Oh, I yeah. mean, it sounds like it sounds, it sounds like your average MLS game. Oh, I'm staying out of that one. On that note, Ian, you can take us out, please. Speaking, speaking of which, uh, congratulations, Nigel, yeah. being a part of the MLS crew Cheers, going nice. forward. Looking forward to listening to you and your comments. Cheers, and uh, nice. please make sure you bring up that comment from JJ as well when you're sitting at the desk on that first match day. Uh, Nigel, real quickly, we have Club Brugge taking ahead uh, Benfica. They have big games coming up this weekend. Union Saint Gula, and then also Sporting Bra against Benfica this weekend coming up is going to be an absolute cracker. I think that's a cup game as well. Braga trying to put a little bit of payback after a hammering from Benfica recently. I'm only joking, Nigel. I'm not coming to you for a little review on that one now. But just <laughs> a big shout out to all, <laughs> just a big shout out to all of our Benfica fans out there. We're going to get deep in depth into Benfica next week. We can't wait for these ties coming up. And a reminder to everybody that we will be back on Monday with a massive preview as we finally start to pick it up for the Champions League. And don't forget you can watch all the games on Paramount Plus and CBS sports as we go through the round of 16 the build-up the prep you're in the right place for it with the house of champions as we get you set for the pre-game show and the post-game show but also the game coverage on cbs sports and paramount plus it is going to be absolutely fantastic we can't wait for it nigel i am coming to you with our final thoughts because ronaldinho's son joe mendez says uh, set to join barcelona wtf was my words that i wrote down here <laughs> what is going on i mean first and foremost ronaldinho he's a bit all over the place right now i've no idea what's going on in his private life but his son joined in Barcelona maybe because they can't afford anybody else right now what's up there hey he's a club legend I'm sure that's just been done through like most of the people that I know who play the professional football who live in Manchester doesn't matter what level you played as long as you played Manchester City trying to sign all your kids so <laughs> no surprise good luck to his son that's a big burden to carry that that Ronaldinho name um but yeah good luck to him ML hey Nigel said it all man it's the next generation of uh, golden stars of the past getting uh, favors from their dad, apparently. <laughs> JJ's smiling. He can't wait to jump in here. Come on, JJ, what you got? Uh, yeah, as Des mentioned in the chat, they got the uh, the mum uh, who's supposedly a ballerina as well. So you can imagine what the footwork's going to be like. Uh, you know, at least still be amazing when it comes to, to keepy-uppies and doing some crazy skills. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it w- will be... Uh, it, it, no, it will be interesting to see if he ever gets anywhere close to the first team because you see a lot of these gambles that just, yeah. you know, it's sort of a where, where are they now in a couple of years' time. Forget right, that. I just want to know how Ronaldinho bagged a ballerina, mate. That's all I'm interested <laughs> in. Have, have you seen him dance on the ball? Have you seen him dance on a ball? Hey, come on, lad. Hey. He must have been uh, taking ballet. I'll, t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, there's a reason why he loves coming back to Paris. Oh, yeah, it's nights out on the town. Legend go down in PSG legend. We got to get out of here. We got so many shout outs, and we've hit the 50 minute mark here, which is absolutely ridiculous for our show. We were only planning for 30 minutes. We've gone to 50 <laughs> minutes because we love each other so much here. We do have uh, Amy jumping in the comments here, Nigel, real quickly. A CBS soccer podcast is Chelsea going to start Kepa or Mendy as the goalkeeper against West Ham. Thanks mm. in advance. And good morning in the USA. Amy, big shout out to you as well. We're running out of time. So, Nigel, who starts real quickly? I'm thinking he's going to start Kepa. All right. Thanks very much. And thanks to everybody out there for tuning uh, into House of Champions. Thank you to also listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're also available as video, so subscribe to us on YouTube. For everybody out there who enjoys a 40-minute run or a 40-minute workout, we apologize. 50 minutes today we went. <laughs> so if you enjoy a good, a good 50 minutes, which is normally a first half in a soccer game right now with the ridiculous stoppage time that they add now, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. 
show. Thanks to everybody out there. Please, a reminder to everybody, we're back on Monday. The Champions League is back. You can catch all the games, all the coverage, the pregame build-up, and the live action on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. But House of Champions, we will be all across all of the games for you getting you ready for these big games in the weekend. But make sure you enjoy all the domestic football this weekend. Nigel Rio Coker, Michael Hood, Jonathan Johnson over in Paris. I mean, enjoy sending out House of Champions. We'll see you next time. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.